Chuck and Julie, bringing you the truth straight up. I'm Julie Hagan. I'm working at- an Emmy-winning former investigative reporter, a highly successful trial attorney, and publisher of a major Denver area newspaper. They've been partners as talk show hosts and in marriage as parents for over 10 years, providing thought-provoking information, opinion, and entertainment live, local, and interactive. Everyone's voice is always welcome on The Chuck and Julie Show. Hey, it's Party Friday. Chuck and Julie are probably out partying before the long um, Christmas weekend. This is Mark Poff. Your guest host, retired detective from the El Paso County Sheriff's Office. And John will be with us um, here in a few minutes. I told him that we weren't going to be, I wasn't going to be bloviating too long about Donald Trump and all this crazy stuff that's going on. But it it is um, very interesting. And obviously, if you want to say anything, go right ahead, especially during the segment with John. We're going to be talking about all kinds of um, stuff going on in the judicial system right now that we've been working on here in the last year or so and i am watching the chat area so if you want to put any comments up i'll be able to catch those and you can call in if you need i think the number just went up it's 888-627-6008 feel free to call in if you have any questions about what we're talking about because when john and i talk it's it's going to be interesting about a case that just got completely out of control that he worked on, but I don't want to say anything until John gets on. But, but first, you know, I consider myself an average person. I don't consider myself a political machine that I understand how a lot of this stuff, you know, like Chuck and Julie, I mean, Chuck just kind of understands how all this stuff works in our political system in Colorado nationally and stuff. And and I don't, And, and really I haven't spent a lot of time, you know, dealing with politics in in my life but it seems like as i get older and semi-retired i kind of take a little better view and you know the stuff that's going on with donald trump i just find it entertaining but it does drive me crazy i do want to look at other candidates i'm not locked in to donald trump by any means i i was a, a big fan of tim scott and you know there's others that i'm interested in So I kind of wanted to watch this whole thing spar out again. You know, do I think that there was fraud during the last election? Absolutely. I think there's fraud in every election. And we seem to talk about how much fraud there is, and then we don't do anything to fix it. So it it happens again. We have video of people stuffing ballots, and nobody does anything to do about it. You know, arresting people and holding people accountable for ballot harvesting and all kinds of stuff. And But where we are right now, it is just so obvious to me, as as someone who's not into this, that this is all about taking Donald Trump out of the equation. And it's not so much about the end game. You know, I'm sure there's some that have already figured out what federal prison they want Donald Trump in. I, I think they've already, I think they're coordinating. If anyone thinks that these are four separate um, cases or whatever that that they're not interacting. I don't buy it. I don't buy that they're, the Democrats aren't communicating on this, strategizing about timing, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, obviously they were this Jack Smith guy. You know who, who? You know it didn't make sense to me why he wanted to go and bypass all the appellate courts and go straight to the Supreme Court 
on to ask if Donald Trump has immune, presidential immunity. It's like, that didn't make sense to me. But then when you understand that this is a timing issue, this is all about jacking the 2024 election and to manipulate the results, manipulate people, and 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 keep Donald Trump, you know, if, if you're trying to block punches, it's hard to punch yourself. So they want to come at him at all these different time periods. And I think Jack Smith realized that this timing could, could get messed up because once they appeal to the appellate court, they could argue, wait a minute, you know, why have a trial? until we've ruled on whether he has presidential immunity. Well, that makes sense. So I think Jack Smith understood this. So he's like, you know, let's let's speed this whole thing up because I want to go in March, Super Tuesday and all this other stuff. I want Trump in court during Super Tuesday. So he needed to get that timing worked out because once Trump does appeal and say, you know, hey, let's talk about the presidential, um, and not amnesty, um, but... You know, once he gets into that, that could delay the trial. So it's good that the immunity thing was delayed out because, you know, if if you don't want to affect the election, it should be that, well, let's just wait till after the election and then we'll do all these trials. I've worked in the judicial system for criminal cases for a long time. And it's no big deal for something to get pushed out a year, a two, a three years. I'm working on cases where people were charged in 2020 and still haven't gone to trial. But there's this big rush to get Trump in the courtroom now or next spring because that will affect the election. So really to not affect the election, they should be holding off on this. But of course, there's the other argument, which is that shouldn't matter. You know, we should just let the system play out. Well, then let it play out like it normally does, where people can delay things out a year or so. I mean, for God's sakes, let's look at Hunter Biden. I mean, how they let this thing stretch out, you know, until the statute of limitations ran out on a bunch of this stuff. But they're not going to do that for Donald Trump. You know, they're going to do the timing just right. Because understand this, and I've seen this on a lower scale in the judicial system. This isn't about the end game. You know, there's a really good chance that Trump's going to beat all of these things on the end game. That's not the point. The point is to beat him down in the process. So this is all about the process, not about the end game. This is all about the election and taking him out of play. So when you understand that, that that's really what this is all about, a lot of this stuff makes sense you know, as to why they're doing things certain ways. But for me personally, I really wanted to hear from Donald Trump, not at a rally, not at a speech or anything like that. I wanted to hear him in debates. And I actually would prefer, and I had mentioned earlier um, in a segment of, a few months ago, I, I think debates are terrible. I think they need to, to have like Survivor Series, a Netflix, you know, series or Hulu or something where they put them all in a mansion and, and make them beat out, you know, beat each other up every day and then have one on ones on couches, chairs or whatever. And, and just really hammer a lot of this stuff, because I personally, I'm not just a gimme for Trump. And here's the reason why. I don't think he deserves the presidency. He still needs to earn it. I'm not going to sit here and say, OK, he you know, was cheated out of the last election. So therefore 
he, he deserves it. It almost sounds like Hillary Clinton, you know, saying, well, hey, I'm the heir apparent. That's not how it works with me. I want to hear from everybody. And I really want to hear from Donald Trump from the standpoint of what would he do differently in this term? Very specific questions. And, and, and I would like that for him to sit down and answer very specifically a list of these questions, because I think one of Donald Trump's biggest mistakes in his last um, in his first term was who he hired. He hired these people, you know, he's talking about, you know, cleaning up the swamp. And then he brought in people that were part of the swamp. You know, when he first got into office, he brought in individuals that it's like, wait a minute, you, you know, where's the difference? You know, same circus, different clowns. And I think he learned from that as his administration went on um, where he started bringing in these other people. So I, I would really like to hear, you know, what would he have done differently and things like that. I want to see him debate the others. I want him to work for this election. And and for me, it's just not a gimme for him. Um, but I have to tell you, the more they keep trying to manipulate like the Colorado Supreme Court, what a flippin' joke. I mean, this is so asinine. And they're basically teeing him up. You know, here's one of the ways I look. Back in 2016, when Trump won, they they kept him in the media. He didn't even have to spend a lot of money on advertising because the press just was like so... What the hell is, you know, who is this guy, Trump? They gave him all of the stuff, all that free airtime, and he used to laugh about it. And in 2020, you know, with COVID and all this other BS that got involved, and I'm a firm believer if it wasn't for COVID, that Trump would have been reelected hands down. And if they hadn't committed fraud in certain areas, you know, I think he would have won the election. But you know, now I, I they're doing it again, like they did in 2016. They're going to give him this election, and I'm okay with that. If if they want to give him the election, you know, during the Trump administration, let's be clear, the policies that happened were very good for America. I have to admit, sometimes when Trump talked, I cringed when he said things. I cringed, but it's like, dude, it's not about Trump. It's about his administration. And I do believe that Trump has learned from his first term to bring in these non-politicians the next time, which is why, you know, all the Democrats hate him. And then there's a group of Republicans that just hate Trump, I think, more than the Democrats, because they want this sewer that we have in politics. They don't want to trim the government down. They all want power and fame. I mean, look at Doug Lamborn. I mean, I have no respect for him anymore. I, I, you know, he's just playing the game. I'm not into people playing the game. I'm into people making a difference. And Donald Trump made a difference when his administration was in office. But again, you know, they're trying to use the courts to do something to take away our ability to vote for who we want to. And again, this isn't about Trump. It's far from about Trump. This is about the Colorado Supreme Court jacking with the Republicans of Colorado, that they're not going to allow us to vote and decide who we want. I mean, that's just crazy. So, you know, that's kind of it for me. I'm not, like I said, I'm not some big analyst, you know, but there is a few things that I can see. Liz Cheney's an idiot. I can see that. It's basically right out there. 
that she's a dumbass and she's been fooled by these people and she's emotionally involved instead of saying what's best for america she's she's all into this this business i still think she's coming back somewhere and i i applaud that you know i, I couldn't say the name um vivek ranswamy can't say it i'm sure i butchered it and i apologize to him if i if i did so i actually looked up on a website and i said i searched for republican candidates and of course, they list Donald Trump, you know, front runner. And then it says contenders on this website. And the first contender they showed, um, oh, crap, Chris Christie. And I was like, what the hell? You, you know, who in the heck thinks that Chris Christie is in the running for the Republican nomination? We we know who the next two are, DeSantis and Nikki Haley. And Vivek Ranswamy has kind of fallen out of favor again. But I thought it interesting that here's this website. And why do you think that they put Chris Christie as the number one contender? Because that's who they want. They're trying to manipulate the Republicans out there that are looking on the internet for information. And God forbid that that's what I did, but I did. But Chris Christie has no prayer of getting the Republican nomination. I mean, it's just, he's wasting time because no one can forget you know, what is the hug or the handshake with Obama? I mean, we're not going to forget this. Um, I, I do like Vivek. I equate him with um, a guy from Kentucky, man. I'm so bad with names. I'm getting old. Um, he, he has a lot of interesting stuff that he says, but I don't know about making him president. And, and again, why are some of these people actually running for president when they know they don't have a chance? I, I, I think Vivek knows that he, he does not have a, a great chance of being the Republican nominee. He wants to be part of the team, and I, I support that. I recognize that. I'd like to see him in a cabinet post or something like that. Don't know about VP, but somewhere up there. I, you know, The problem is Trump is alienating everybody, and Vivek is definitely vying for that VP spot. And they're all saying, well, no, I would never take VP. That's a bunch of BS. Yes, they would. They all would. But we know there's no way he's that Trump would pick um, Chris Christie. But it would have been nice if he'd have picked someone like Nikki Haley. But the, the problem is he's alienating everybody other than Vivek, kind of. Now, he did say that he liked Tim Scott. So I wouldn't mind if Trump picked Tim Scott. That would work out pretty well for me as well. I, I think that might actually get me to um, to vote a little bit more. And I can understand how some people don't like Nikki Haley. She's part of the system, and I get it. You know, um, that's why I, you know, I'd always like Tim Scott. You know, he's he's out of the race at this point. I get it. Uh, I would be good with Donald Trump. But we'll see what happens. I'd like to see a good debate, these little one-on-ones. I really would like to see this whole Survivor series. I think that would be awesome. Make a little money, sell it to Netflix for $20 million, and then have a week or 10 days that everybody gets into this mansion, let them you know, fight it out, and let the Americans you know, vote people off. I'm pretty sure Chris Christie would be the first to go. But all right, so enough of my bloviating about stuff I don't know anything about. So I see that John St. Augustine is on. So if you could um, bring him into the game, so to speak. And we're going to talk about a few things. Um, Now, one of the things I want to talk about first. Yeah, there comes John in. He's in the game. If you'll unmute there, John. Yeah, he's in the game. 
So one of the first things before we talk about this case that I think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about, and, and John's going to have to take some time laying the whole foundation, is just here recently, you know, the University of Idaho murders that took place last year and this Brian Kohlberger. So there's a big thing now about, so to let me lay the foundation, there was a person who owned that house where those homicides took place. And let's be real. You had four students brutally murdered in this house. He was never, he or she, I don't know who actually owned the house. They were never going to rent it out again. Now, the only way they could have made money on this house is make it a novelty and then maybe on Halloween do something, which I hate to even bring that into the conversation. But I, I just can't imagine kids or anybody ever living in that house again. Um, I remember when my wife and I first moved to Colorado Springs, I wanted a house on the north side of Nevada, which I thought was kind of these really cool old homes. And she goes, too many ghosts, too many ghosts. I don't want to live there. So I can understand that with this house where four um, kids were murdered, no one's going to rent that house again. So what the owner did is he gave the house to the University of Idaho, just gave it to him as a charitable contribution, I'm sure. Probably the best way he could just write the whole thing off on his taxes. So University of Idaho has it. Now, what are they going to do with it? I mean, they're not going to rent it out. They're not going to make it into like a little dorm room or whatever. I mean, no one's going to want to stay there. So they're into this big push that they want to destroy it. So the cops have come in. You know, they've they've done all their DNA stuff. They've done all their testing and everything. And, and if you see the recent pictures, that house has been all boarded up, all the windows and stuff boarded up. And they want to demolish it next week, next week. Now, I've worked on a bunch of homicides. John's probably worked on five times more homicides than I have. So my question to you, John, just straight up, is there any advantage? I mean, why, knowing that you're not going to rent this house, you're not going to do anything with this house for the next few years, no matter what, is there any good reason for them to demolish this house prior to the trial? Well, first, thanks for having me and uh, Merry Christmas. Um, is there a reason to keep, you know, to, is there any urgency in hurrying up and, and destroying this house? I would tell you, no, it's probably not. I mean, because of what happened inside of it, yes. I, mean, I, I can see why, you know, there's this rush to hurry up and get rid of it. Um, I think what we have to make sure of, though, you know, is, the trial is going, you know, the trial for, was that Kohlberger, the, the, the suspect's name. Um, yeah. It's going to be important for the jury to be able to visualize, you know, what happened there. Um, you know, and, and, and in a lot of trials, what you see is that the jury has the opportunity to go back and visit the crime scene. And so, you know, um, you know, it's good to get that perspective. Because, you know, I, th I think in, in that case, Mark and I apologize. Um, I don't know a whole lot about that case, but I, you know, I do. I know we've talked about it before. My understanding is that there was at least one or two people inside of the of the home at the time of the homicides that actually saw Koberger in the house and, you know, didn't think anything of it, like just allowed him to kind of continue throughout the house, which is odd. But, you know, not knowing what that house, you know, I mean, when you have six, seven, eight different roommates, 
you know, you probably do have people coming and going. And I think what's important is for, you know, the jury to see how these four people were murdered inside of this home. The, the other part, right, which we don't know right now, it's too early to say, but, you know, it's also going to be critical that you you keep the crime scene um, for potentially any any evidence, right? I mean, yes, they've had the opportunity to process the crime scene, and yes, you know, they should have collected everything, but you know, sometimes the defense wants an opportunity to go back to these scenes and be able to do some things as well. And so, you know, I recently worked a case down in Trinidad where, you know, a murder happened inside of a trailer and they ended up destroying the the trailer. And, and I'm like, what was the, what's the urgency, right? Like, why, why go out and destroy this before the trial even happened? So, you know, my thing is if, you know, if they can avoid it, I think there's more advantage to keeping it around um, than not. And, and like I said, for those specifically, those two reasons that the, you know, um, potentially go back out to the crime scene again, you know, the, you know, the thing is, is what we don't know is whether or not measurements were taken of this crime scene, right? It's, it, you may be asking evidence, John, what kind of evidence could possibly be there, you know, after all these months and days have gone by and what I would say is it's not necessarily like co the collection of something, but it's sometimes like being able to go back and accurately be able to demonstrate, right, accurately, um, you know, show um, what these different rooms look like, the, you know, where things were laid out, where certain things were found, um, and whether or not, you know, everything that happened is could have feasibly been done by one person. And again, right, I'm not saying that I'm not getting into this conspiracy that there's more than one person involved. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm getting at is that the jury wasn't there. Um, and so it's important for the jury to be able to go back out there and in their own decision-making, right. When they get ready to deliberate that they go out there and they go, okay, this, this all makes sense. We've seen all these photographs. We've seen all these body cams. We've seen the crime scene video, but now we've got to, you know, actually view it ourselves and so it really would assist the jury in getting a better understanding of what actually happened inside of that home. And allow the jury to walk through that house. Yep. Yep. Walk through the house, walk through the neighborhood. Right. I mean, you just, I think the last time you and I talked about that, right. There was some things about how there was, uh, you know, some evidence to indicate on this digital evidence that he was somewhere in the area and that there was some, you know, um, there was a there was a local restaurant, I think, that one of the victims worked at that they met at or potentially the suspect was there at some at some point. It's just putting all those relationships together. Right. Because it's real easy for a for a detective or a prosecutor to talk about a case where they've had access to the home. They've had access, you know, to everything, in, 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 you know, as it existed, as opposed to relying solely on photographs and videos but I really think there's a lot of value. I don't know if you remember, Mark. Um, it was probably one of the first cases you and I worked on in in homicide when um, Juliana Lawrence. And I remember the 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 shock on your face because I think that was one of your first scenes. And you know, here was a here was a young gal who was murdered by a, a, a young soldier. I don't know if you remember Robert Marco um, yep. killed Juliana Lawrence here in Colorado Springs in the mountains and. You know, one of the things we did was what we actually brought the suspect up to the area 
to kind of help us, you know, uh, number one, I find her body. Um, but we ended up bringing the jury up there to show them where the different things, I don't know if you remember, but there was that gauze that he had placed in her mouth. And, and after he had murdered her, he said he had buried that, that gauze um, near a, near a tree at the top of this piece of property. And so, you know, again, right, they see photographs, they can see through diagrams and they have bird's eye, you know, views of things, you know, through aerial photography and things of that sort, drone photography now, but there's nothing like actually walking it, right? Actually I mean, going out there. Exactly. You know, one of the questions is, is in, in this one, in the University of Idaho case, supposedly after or during the process or just after these homicides, he's walking down the hallway and walks right past one of the individuals who survived that he did not attack. And I'm sure a lot of people are like, man, how could, you know, how could that happen? Or, you know, when she's talking about how it's dark or whatever, you know, if you go in there and you see this place, you can visualize, you know, I'd almost want to walk them through it early so they can kind of visualize when everybody's testifying. But the one thing you're not hearing from right now is the defense. The defense is quiet, but I guarantee you if they demolish this house at some point the defense is going to make a big deal about it saying that you know hey you know why were they in such a rush to demolish this house you know was there exculpatory evidence in this house that was lost that we could have you know gone into i I could just see right after they demolish it you know the defense saying you know hey we wanted to go through that house again well you had all that time now but they're not saying anything I think they would love for the house to be demolished so the jury can't visualize um, that house. Right. You know, you can have videos, you can have pictures, you can have drawings, sketches. I don't care what. There's right. nothing as better than walking through the house yourself right. and, and visualizing. And, and, room. It'd, been not, it'd been nice if they left all the furniture in there. My understanding is they've taken it all out. But and I understand that you want to secure the bed and some other. I get that, but right. nothing would have been better. And even with video, to just be able to walk through that house and there's nothing to be gained. There's no reason for the University of Idaho to demolish this house now. In fact, I hear that there's people trying to block access to the house by parking cars in the way and leaving them there. And University of Idaho has actually come out and said, "Look." When we come out there and it's time to demolish the house, we're towing every vehicle out of the way. And then we're going to demolish the house. So obviously there's something going on. I know there's family members of some of the victims that have said, you know, please don't demolish it. But the University of Idaho, for some reason, you know, they just want to demolish this thing. And I guess I just don't get it. Well, I do. They want this to be over and done with and get some, you know, closure, just get it gone. Yeah, I mean, you know, you remember when we worked Columbine, I mean, one of the big things was, you know, they wanted the kids to get back into the school. And so, you know, in that particular situation, Mark, I mean, we had no suspects, right? Cleveland and Harris had already, you know, killed themselves. There was nobody to prosecute. Um, But in that particular case, you know, it was still an educational institution. And so what they ended up doing was, you know, they ended up, re you know redesigning things and closing down that library and not you know making it into something else so you know i can see the the urgency in trying to change something up to not further traumatize 
you know, the kids. I mean, it was not practical to go out and build a new high school and get rid of Columbine. So with that particular part, you know, they ended up destroying it and, 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 you know, like I said, re redesigning it and re landscaping it. Um, there's no reminders of what Columbine looked like prior to, you know, April 20th of 99. I mean, this is something where now you go there, nobody, nobody, there, there's no semblance or resemblance, I should say. There's no resemblance of what Columbine looked like prior to the to the shooting. And so in those situations, I can understand the, the urgency to hurry up and destroy things. But, you know, a lot of these, these situations where homes and nobody's going to move back in, they don't do anything until after the case has been resolved. I mean, really... That's the main thing. Get the criminal, you know, the criminal piece done with. Make sure Kohlberger is held accountable. Um, and and if he's, in fact, the guy who's responsible at this point, that's what, you know, the indication is. So if he's the guy, make sure, you you know, you, you put together a, a great case and, you know, you have all your ducks in a row and you give the jury every, oppor- you know, an opportunity to to see everything is, and, and also the defense, because, you know, you, you don't want the defense to raise any arguments, you, you know, darn right. well, they're, they're going to try to raise something, right? Like, you yeah. know, the measurements in this room were inaccurate. You didn't do a proper, you know, measurement. You were using, you know, triangulation, but all of that stuff has been destroyed now. So what could you have triangulated to and what level and all, you know, it could be, it could just raises a whole nother level of, of, of problems. It's just best to wait till this is resolved and then move on. Well, exactly. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm pretty sure they're going to demolish the house next week. Um, wow. I think it'll be a mistake. It'll be interesting to see um, how that plays out. Obviously, the prosecution thinks they have a solid case. I'm sure cell phone records will come into play a great deal in this and, and locating where his mobile device was. But hey, so let's let's move on to to really what we wanted to talk about. So sure. you're going to have to lay out the whole, this was your case, not mine. I did not work on this case at all. I just got to to hear about it, you know, while it was happening. And I was, I remember I kept saying, you know, really, you know, that that's, that's what they did. So lay out this case, you know, so everybody can understand exactly how it played out. Sure. So um, last year, early, late last year, early this year, I was asked to get involved in a case where um, a local resident of Colorado Springs was arrested uh, three times for a similar charge. Um, and what this charge was, was that she had used technology, specifically a texting application, um, to send um, harassing, uh, mean uh, text messages to her ex-husband excuse me, her ex-boyfriend and his current girlfriend. And so how it all started was, you know, she she was arrested in November of of 2022. She gets out. She's re-arrested again in December of 2022. She gets out. Her attorney then contacts me and says, look, um, there's something that's just not right. Uh, This gal is getting arrested and it's all based on the same type of of evidence, same type of allegation that using a mobile device or some device, right, a computer, um, messages were being sent to her ex-boyfriend and, and the current girlfriend. So January of this year rolls around and she's before she's arrested, I'm brought onto the case, like I said, late December, early January. 
And one of the first things I said was, look, you know, let's collect your, your, your digital evidence, your, your mobile devices, your phone, let's collect your, you know, your, your laptop, your, your iPad, and let's just keep them secured at an office um, so that we can at least stop the bleeding. You know, my thought was, you know, if the, the allegation is that this same mobile device is being used every time to harass her boyfriend or ex-boyfriend and the girlfriend, then we probably want to try and see what we can do to ch- kind of control that as best we can. So let's, well, before you go on, uh-huh. I want to stop you there just to, to lay this yeah. out. Yep. So they arrested her. Now, remember, this is DV harassment, right? Or is it mm-hmm. DV stalking or, or whatever? It, well, it ended up being DV stalking on the third arrest, but the first two okay. was an harassment type of deal. Yes. So you think harassment, what is she doing in jail? Because it's domestic violence in the state of Colorado, she has to go to jail. So she goes to jail and has to bond out a day or two later. So she's spending the night in, in the county jail and... When when they arrest her, do they seize her cell phone? No, and that's that's the troubling part of the investigation, is that all of the allegations that are being made kind of are, is surrounded by the mobile device or some way she was sending these messages to her, her ex-husband, ex-boyfriend, excuse me. And so you would think, right, Mark, I mean, we've been in this line of work for quite some time. One of the very first things you would do as a police officer is say, okay, you know, upon arrest, we're going to seize that device and then we're going to get a search warrant to search that device to see if those said messages, in fact, reside on that mobile device or on that, you know, that laptop or iPad or whatever. But no, nothing was taken. And even more concerning was that sometimes you don't have the the ability to find the 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 alleged suspect's mobile device but even in this particular case they didn't even take the the person so the ex-boyfriend and his the victims. girlfriend they, they didn't even the victims right the alleged victims right the alleged victims take, yeah yeah they didn't even take the alleged victims um phone or even ask um to to do some kind of analysis or extraction of the data on those mobile devices so those first two arrests, like you said, uh, mandatory arrest. She spent, you know, at least one night in 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 jail in a local county jail, and then prior to the third arrest, those devices are are collected, um, they're secured, and the SWAT team this time it's like I don't know six members of a tactical team, and a bunch of people you know come in and and hit her house a third time and arrest her a third time. This time. It ends up being a, a felony, um, a felony stalking charge, if if I recall correctly. And I apologize. Um, so what happens, right, is now um, this poor gal, she is is scared. And to kind of add insult to injury, she, I, I believe she was arrested on a Thursday. She could have been released on a Friday, Mark. And the 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 government delayed the process to where she wasn't able to see a judge in time on Friday. So guess what? She ended, up, she ended up having to stay Saturday and Sunday until her case could be heard on Monday on Monday morning. Which at that point she was able to meet you know the 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 terms of the bond and uh, was able to get out. So fast forward. Or, you know, I'm now heavily involved in the case. I'm, you know, looking at 
all the specifics of, of the first arrest, the second arrest, and the third arrest. And lo and behold, there is no evidence that was ever collected by law enforcement. And so basically my recommendation to the client was, and their and her attorneys, was, look, you know, um, it's not normal for people like us, meaning, you know, you, Mark, and I, right? We don't we don't normally do law enforcement's job as working on behalf of, of, of the defense, right? The idea is we just look at the case, we give them some insight into the case, and then we tell them, look, you know, there's some good facts or there's some bad facts, you know? And, and that's what that's what we typically do. But because of the third arrest, the concern was this. Was there going to be a fourth arrest, a fifth arrest? How many more arrests were going to, you know, was going to happen? And so we ended up looking at the digital evidence. We collected it. Which they didn't do. I mean, just to be right. clear on that, mm-hmm. they did not seize her phone. They did not process the alleged victim's phone. To Correct. see where these messages came from, they knew it came from a texting app, and right. not text from now. what we call um, native texting. Just you know, yep. using a text. Yep. And so they didn't subpoena the vendor who did the software. Was it Text Now? It was Text Now. Yeah. And so there was no search warrant, you know, done by law enforcement. They didn't do anything. They didn't do anything. Did, did they? Did they interview her and talk to her about what had happened? Um. You know. No. They, they, you know, I, I think they, they relied, they did not talk to, to the suspect. I believe the suspect had, had lawyered, had requested a lawyer. She at that point, right. She was like, I, I what am I going to say? I've been arrested three times for something that I, right. I can do. Right. Right? It's like, I, I think she may have mentioned something that brief mark. It wasn't like an in-depth, you know, it's that typical patrol interaction, right? Hey, you know, having your rights in mind, you want to talk to me, you know, I didn't do it. Didn't do it. Didn't, it didn't happen. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. What are you talking about? Right. So, um, which is not uncommon, right? I mean, a lot of people who've done made committed crimes actually say I didn't do it, but in this particular case, you know, she says I didn't do it. So again, right. The fear was that there was going to be some additional arrests. And because of the, of the way that these arrests were happening, it was all based on text messages that there were these, nothing these, else, nothing else, not, 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 not like her driving by his house or her house, not her following them to work, not her, you know, doing anything that, you know, you can, you can obviously see through maybe some, some type of ring that would support that would support allegations. That. That's right. There was That's none right. of that. There was none of that. And so, you know, ended up taking her phones. And this time we not only did I look at, you know, her old phone, but her new phone. And, you know, the idea was to do the extraction and also ask the attorneys to do a subpoena to text now to see who was using the numbers that were allegedly used by the suspect. Um, and so all of that was done. And I write. So you basically had to do the policeman's job. That's correct. So essentially, you know, the investigation was done by the other side, meaning the defense. And they weren't doing anything else. That's correct. They didn't do anything else. So and if you waited, if you waited, the text now data could have been lost. 
That's correct. And, and, you know, this doesn't happen. I think the text now data didn't come until mid to late summer of this year. Uh, you know, the request was put in earlier in the year and then, you know, TextNow is one of those companies that um, are not very compliant, but eventually they did provide the data to show who was using those numbers, what what email address was using it, what IP address, right, internet protocol that you can identify a location of who's, you know, sending these messages. Well, when you look at it, none of those names on, on the TextNow subpoena were our clients. It was somebody else. Um, not only that, but the phones that were, you know, that were that the data was extracted from it showed that at no point did those phones ever utilize the application TextNow. Never used it, never had it on there. And the phone numbers that were allegedly used to send these text messages were not coming from any of the phones by the by the suspect. So, so, so at that point, you wrote uh-huh. you wrote a report. I did wrote a report. So you, do, was, you documented just like the cops should have. Yep. You documented what your findings were. Now they got a copy when you did the subpoena. Did they not get a copy of this data as well? They got a, they got a copy of all the data that the same. But the did same nothing. Uh, did nothing. They didn't do anything at the time. Um, what they but did. You did. You wrote this report up. You submitted it to them. Whole thing should have just gone away, right? That's right. And so, you know, I, I, it was pretty nasty. I mean, my report was basically laying out that, you know, there was some miss, you know, there were the, the investigation was not done properly. And more importantly, if they had collected the evidence in the case, it would have indicated that the person who they thought was sending the messages was not sending the messages. It was that. So they just dropped all the charges, right? As soon as you sit your, so what happened? So instead of doing the right thing, Mark, like we would expect, you know, I mean, when we were cops and we were detectives, you know, we were working in investigations, you would expect that when information like this is being presented, that you do what? You look at the information and go, okay, we're going to do an investigation of our own. But instead of doing that, what they did was they then attacked my character. So they demanded that a Shrek hearing be may be done and and for those of you that don't know what a shrek hearing is it's essentially a hearing to see whether or not an expert so mark and i are qualified as experts in various fields you know to include things like police procedures and digital forensics and so the idea was that the the prosecution claimed that you know hey san augustine is not um He's not qualified to provide an opinion in this case. And so I had to go through a hearing and, you know, if nobody's ever had to sit in on a Shrek hearing, it's kind of, it's kind of nerve wracking because, you know, from my perspective, Mark, you know, if you're deemed not credible as an expert, it, 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 we won't be doing, I wouldn't be doing this kind of work ever again. I mean, literally that I was scared. I'd be lying to you if I didn't say I was scared because, you know, they ask you questions, they, you know, and, and, and they, they, you know, they put you through the ringer to try and disqualify you, to try and discredit you, to try and make it sound like you don't know what you're talking about. So, so to, to go through this, cause I, obviously, you know, we're both experts have been for years. Mm-hmm. So instead of really reading your report 
doing their own internal investigation, using the information from the same subpoena that you guys use. Mm-hmm. They tried to kill the messenger, ruin your credibility. And here's what's so funny. This is the fourth judicial district down here in Colorado Springs that asked for a Shrek hearing to call into question John's ability to be qualified as an expert witness. And what it was ironic on this, 20 years earlier, multiple times, um, the fourth yeah, judicial I, I, district I, yeah, has, exactly. has, has asked, has qualified Right. John is an expert. So 20 years earlier, John, when he worked for the sheriff's office, was an expert for the fourth judicial system. But as soon as he quits and goes out privately, all of a sudden now he's stupid. And now he doesn't qualify as an expert witness. And the judge made quick work of it, from my understanding, and basically said that, why are we here? Of course, John's an expert. Let's move on. This is stupid. Um, We've both been qualified as experts. I mean, dozens of times I've never had a Shrek hearing against me. And I was just like, when John told me this, I was like, what the hell, you know, do they not understand that they have called you as an expert before in the past? This is going to look stupid. And they did look stupid. Yeah. Um, But you know, but I will tell you, Mark, I, I agree with you. And you know, about the whole, you know, you test, you know, I testified before, but you know, I will tell you, this is our livelihood. This is what you and I do for a living. And and the mere thought that in one hearing you can be deemed, you know, basically not credible. I mean, it it has such an adverse effect on everything else that you do down the line. I mean, if if you're deemed not, you know, not credible in a in a courtroom, this this domino effect happens to all now every case that we're associated i'm associated with you know you're associated with has the potential to you know to to now say you know the government saying why would we want san augustine or poff they've both been deemed not credible in in an actual you know in an actual courtroom so they're not we shouldn't listen to anything that they're saying nothing that comes out of you know their reports is is true and so that's what scared me you know and and it sounds very selfish, Mark, but I, 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 you know, I know you probably sensed it in my voice. I was scared because I was worried that these guys were going to, were going to do this. And then it was now going to be more about me and not about what the case was actually about. And that was, look, the government didn't do their job. And if they had done their job, guess what? They would have found that this gal was not the person who was sending these text messages. So to kind of fast forward to the to the story real quick so that so that your listeners can can kind of understand what happened, lo and behold, the person sending the text messages was the ex-boyfriend's girlfriend. And yesterday I found out current girlfriend, correct. And so yesterday I found out there was an active warrant. Um, that's what I was told, was that there was an active warrant um for this ex-boyfriend's current girlfriend. But it sounds kind of, you know. Yeah, but in the meantime, this poor gal was arrested three times for something she didn't do. And if it wasn't for, you know, her attorney hiring somebody that, you know, understood the technology. Gotta have money. And exactly. And, and, you know, that's the unfortunate side of this is that unless you have the resources, how do you take on the power of the government who is, you know, right now bearing down, you know, on on her and and making it a point to arrest her not once not twice but three times and the fear was that there was going to be potentially a fourth or fifth or sixth time who knows how many times 
And right. who was going to stop that? I mean, I right. think so. One of the things. Called, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, one of the things, and, and Sandra just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the comments, and Sandra just has an awesome comment. Uh-huh. So, what's interesting, and, and I hope this will will kind of answer Sandra's question. The, the district attorney's office has their own experts. It's law enforcement. They they may use the local um, police department, sheriff's office, FBI, ATF, Secret Service, whoever expert that they need to testify. For years, and, and I can only really talk about the state of Colorado. I've testified in a couple other states, but I'm very knowledgeable in Colorado, so I feel comfortable in saying this. What John and I do now as prior law enforcement now testifying on, on mainly on the behalf of defense. I, I've been retained by prosecutors before to, to do work, but 99% of the time we testify for the defense. Normally, the law enforcement experts that they bring in are never challenged by other experts like us. You know, someone who was actually a detective for, for many years, a, a, a computer engineer, do you know how rare it is, is to even have a computer engineer come in and and start talking about some of this stuff? So now that they're being challenged, John and I are making them do work. We're making them do a better job. Where in the past, they could put their expert on the stand and it went unchallenged. And now these cases that normally would have been pled out, they're having to fight. Because John and I are holding them accountable, and they don't like that. We, we get a lot of stuff, challenges against us, questions asked of us, things brought up at trial, you know, to all kind of challenge our credibility. And, and we don't play that game. I don't get up there and say, hey, look, you know, you know, two two weeks ago, you, you had a detective from the El Paso County Sheriff's Office talk. You know, I know who he slept with. You know, I know he's not a, you know, I, we don't bring up any of their moral issues or any of the other stuff. But we've had DAs ask us inappropriate questions on the stand specifically just to challenge our credibility that has nothing to do with the case. And and that's kind of, you know, they've targeted John a lot more than, than me and a lot of this stuff, but they don't like it. I, I've had prosecutors' heads explode right in front of me um, on questions and stuff where they my answer just pissed them off so bad and, and actually had them start yelling at me. And, and so in this case, you know, here's kind of the point, John, and I love this ending, is because um, we, we've just got a few minutes here to close this up. Sure. So they did, because of what you did, they had to do the right thing. They wouldn't have done it without it. They would have freaking charged her. I mean, they did charge her. Mm-hmm. You know, they would have done whatever they did with her and not even care about going after the right person. So tell tell them quickly in about 30 seconds how they notified the client that she was the charges were going to be dropped. Um, they just, they reached out to, you know, there's probably some attorney client privilege stuff here, but my understanding is they reached out to her counsel said they wanted to talk to her, um, asked if, if that would be, um, you know, if that could be made possible. Um, they ended up meeting and, you know, my understanding, cause I wasn't present in the meeting, but my understanding is that there wasn't even an apology 
that was made by the the prosecutor to to this this client, which, you know, Mark, I mean, you know, it, it, these types of situations can't be so so, you know, so, so adversarial, where you you don't even have the ability to you know, bring out the humanity side of this and say, look, we apologize. Like, what is so hard about saying, <laughs> so sorry for this happening, bad. You, right? And that that it could have been prevented. And we didn't, you know, we didn't do what was supposed to be done. But guess what? We are doing what needs to be done now. And we're going to do everything we can, right, to to keep you in the loop and to, as to what is going on. And and we're just we're we're so we're we're, we're sorry we're sorry right so they um, they didn't they didn't do a written apology to her no they didn't not that even I'm aware. verbally when they okay. when she was at their office didn't say hey sorry right so did they at least tell the attorneys we really appreciate the work of John St. Oh, Augustine hell no hell bring no. the truth to light. <laughs> And straight because we as district attorneys only care about the truth. Yeah. We only want yeah. to send the right yeah. people to jail. So where's your letter from the DA's office thanking you for a great yeah. job at getting at the truth? Mark, this is like your case where the prosecutor asked you, Hey, why didn't you just tell us that? there was evidence that showed our client was innocent. You know, it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't. Why don't you just call that? us. Just call we would us. have done yeah. the right thing. Yeah. yeah. We're gonna, that's you know what, what DAs gonna, do. That's right. We're going to tell everybody, you know, we made a big boo-boo and we're going to, you know, we're going to thank John and, and for, for the work that he put into this. And more importantly that, you know, we, you know, he maybe prevented this gal from being arrested and allowed us to look further into it and actually find the culprit. Um, yeah, you're never going to get that mark. It's never going to happen. That never going to happen. They'll never admit it. that somebody who used to be law enforcement, they don't even like recognizing and, and calling us detectives or retired detectives or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah. but one, one last thing, we've only got about a minute here. So, okay. um, one of the things I wanted to tell people is about selecting a, a, an attorney. I, you know, friends of mine, I, I'm sure, John, I know this has happened to you as well, um, where individuals have come to us and said, I, I had a buddy of mine who got jammed up. I mean, he just straight up got jammed up in a case. He came to me and he goes, Mark, I need an attorney. And he goes, I'm just overwhelmed as to how I pick an attorney. Please do not pick one off the Internet. Do not pick one out of the phone book that, you know, AAAReallyGoodLawyers.com. Please don't do that. My phone number, and I hate to say this, hopefully not everyone's going to call me. I'm sure they won't. You, you need to find somebody in the system, in the judicial system that understands it in your area. You want to pick your lawyers or find your lawyers based on someone else's opinion. You, you know, I, I want to recommend this attorney. I've done this for numerous people. Um, had another buddy who got jammed up. You know, I got him to a great attorney got all not guilties on a case that, you know, he didn't do. And, and so you got to find the right attorney. Now, obviously, I got to add this. You got to find the right attorney in your cost, you know, zone or whatever, because there's some really good attorneys up in Denver that are five, $600 an hour. And you're like, dude, I can't afford that. It'll cost me two, $300,000 to do my defense. So sometimes you have to say, okay, in this price range, you know, what's the best attorney I can get? Ask around, find someone um, 
to make sure you get the right attorney for you. Because some of these attorneys, I will tell you, I love them all because they pay me. (laughs) So um, I'm not going to say anything negative about any attorney, but you need to find the right attorney that works for you because some just like cutting deals. One of of the things we've seen a lot is, and I've been brought in numerous cases like this, will be brought in and they'll say, yeah, I already spent $200,000 on this other attorney. He did nothing for me and told me to take the deal. And it's like, wow, you know, and then we have to come in and clean this whole thing up. So, but John, I, I appreciate that. We got about 30 seconds or so, about a minute or or whatever, any last minute things that you want to no, say about this? No, I was this? just going to say, you know, that what won't stop, Mark, is they'll keep attacking us. You know, they'll keep trying to, to, oh. to discredit us. And the reality is it's never about the facts of the case. It's because, you know, we we speak the truth, you know, and, and we always have. They don't like that. And, and, you know, even for the clients that we represent, like when we know that they're in trouble, we tell them, look, there's not anything we're going to be able to do to really help you. But, you know, the unfortunate thing is you think the government is going to, you know, do the right thing, do the right thing. And, 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 yeah. and you know, and not just you not attack people like you and me. You know, I don't mind being questioned about my credentials. That's fine. You can bring it up. But when you attack me as a person, as an individual, attack you as a person, as an individual, then it's not a professional interaction. What this now is, it's become personal and it shouldn't be right. personal. Exactly. So let's let's close this down. John, thanks again. Mm-hmm. No problem. We thanks love problems. doing this, you know, every blue moon, um, you know, and it gives a chance for Chuck and Julie to take a break. More than happy to help out. Love that everybody watches Chuck and Julie. I typically watch the show um, probably about 50, 60, maybe even 70 percent of the time when I'm working. I can have it on in the side and be watching it. Everybody have a great holiday season. Merry Christmas and a happy New Year's. And hopefully John and I will have more stories for you next year. So have a good holiday. Bye, everyone. Merry Christmas.